We've been talking about don't let anything steal your Christmas. Last week we talked about uh, time. And we, we, we looked at the sketch about letting the cookies burn. That sometimes there are things that are much more important than what's going to happen to the cookies. Or what's going to happen if you're five minutes late. Or what's going to happen if you don't have the right eyeliner color for you guys or whatever. Um, that there's other things that are more important than all the things we fill in with that time. The week before that, we talked about money and how money can rob us of the joy of Christmas. That, in fact, Christmas is about a gift, God giving his son for us to have a relationship with him in the form of a baby. Perfect timing, just as cute. Thank you. This week, we're going to talk about relationships. And for those of you who are new here and you were like, man, I really wanted to hear about baby Jesus. I'll do the best I can to include baby Jesus in there uh, as much as possible. When I was growing up, my dad had four tools. If you needed to get something done, you had four tools that you could pick from. He had a hammer. He had a saw. He had pliers and he had a flathead screwdriver. That's what he had. No matter what needed to be fixed, that's what he used. So if he had to cut a board, he'd pick the hammer usually and the saw. Okay. If he had to fix, change out a light switch, that would be hammer and uh, flathead screwdriver, right? If the TV needed fixing, that was hammer and <laughs> pliers. And if he needed to pull out a nail, it was probably the saw. And he just cut it right off. Not a very handy man, my dad. God love him. I do love my dad. But tools were not his big deal. He had four tools. What we saw here were four people that had tools. Tools to deal with situations. You all have tools in relationships. And when things arise, problems, issues, things out of nowhere, issues that you've had for years, as we go to parties during this last kind of, we can see the finish line, Christmas is coming, we got shopping, we got all this stuff, we got parties to go to, we got kids to cart around in the car. You all have tools that you can use to help you or hurt you in relationships. Carlene obviously had a hammer. <laughs> that was the tool she began to use when it came to, oh my goodness, my mom was married before. And for some of us, that's what our tool belt looks like. I got a tool belt here, and uh, it's got a lot of hammers. And so here you are, you're at your party. These are going to fall out, but that's cool. It's a new carpet. There we go. Dude, was this Brian Lamphere's? I got I to lose some weight. Okay, let me write that on my Christmas list. Let's pretend I'm 25 pounds lighter. And that th I'll tell you what we'll do. Put it around my leg. There we go. All right. My, my gut's too big and my legs are too skinny. That's so sad. This is the worst Christmas ever. Okay. But maybe this is your tool belt. 
Every situation you deal with, it's pulling out a hammer. It might be a small hammer. I only need to get a little bit angry for this one. Right? Or maybe it's got, I got a hammer here that's, it's got a rubber mallet on the, ooh. It's not that rubber, actually, but. <laughs> oh, I think. <laughs> right? You think, well, I didn't go too hard on them. I used the rubber mallet, right? Or you got, uh, this is my favorite one here because it's Brian's. Dude, you get a lot of work done, bro. My hammers are all shiny and new, right? It's got this thing on the back. I don't know what that thing does. That's scary. It's filled with hammers. For some of you, it's filled with screwdrivers, all sorts of little screwdrivers. And you just whittle away and you work at every little relationship or you just get somebody and put it back in. What? Why? I just wanted to say, no, I just saw that you just said that. No, I didn't. I was there. Why? I just thought it's a little bit. The kids ever do that? Little tiny screwdrivers just to get them and then put it back. Big screwdriver. I'll get you, right? I believe what God wants is us to have a full tool belt ready for any situation, ready for any relationship. You ever seen those guys? Sometimes someone will help me with a, with a chore around the house or whatever. I had someone come over. My air conditioning wasn't working. I'm going to tell you who it was. And, and he shows up, man, and the guy's got just killer, too. Like every, it's so manly. I'm just like, I was just kind of walking around, like, like holding on to his hand. You want me to do something? You know? <laughs> It's just got all these tools, everything. It was awesome. So it, it turns out that the door to the, to the air conditioner wasn't closed all the way. So, so he's got all these tools and he comes in. He's just like, click. I'm like, thank you. All right. He had all the tools, but all it needed, I had that. I mean, I could have done that, but I was too stupid. Some of us have tools that are out of control. They're power tools. And when we walk into a room, it's utter devastation. Stop doing what you've always done. Stop reaching for that same tool you always reach for and begin to think, what would it be like if I really had the tools to handle this relationship. I see couples sometimes in my office and it's like they only need one tool, right? They're just missing one tool. It's like, man, you guys, you really need to learn how to forgive each other or whatever. Or you just need to learn how to laugh. It's okay. So he messed up. Ha ha. She messed up. So what? Simmer down. Patience or whatever. Other couples... They got all the tools. They just don't know how to use them all the way. Other couples, you look at the tool belt and you're like, you got nothing. (laughs) And we try and build from there. But what I want us to see this morning, we're going to go into the book of Colossians in chapter three. And I kind of wanted to set us up uh, before that so we could see, like these four women here, which tools were they missing? What did they reach for? How can we do better if we were in that situation when we're at office parties and parties at our house? And how can we reach for the right tool? What happens in Colossians is we're, we're going to start in verse 12. 
and go to verse 14. But prior to that, Paul's setting up this idea about we all have this old nature, this old man, he calls it. Not an old man like, you know, not that kind of old man, but our old nature, our old, old sin nature. And what he's trying to say is, look, don't do that anymore. There's something better. There's a vision for something greater. There's a, there's a, there are better tools for you to use in situations than what your old self used to use. And so kind of if to sum up this scripture, it would be stop doing what you've always done. Here's what it says in Colossians 3, 7 and 8, just to kind of set us up. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now. But now, this week, this Christmas week, when you go to your parties, you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. See, those things don't work. The anger, the sarcasm, the bitterness, the manipulation, it doesn't work in relationships. There's no place for it in relationships. And so what Paul is saying here is, you don't have to do that anymore. You can start replacing some of your hammers with some tools that will actually work. Some things that will actually work. In Ephesians, he says the same thing. He says in Ephesians 4.23, Be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Stop doing what you've always done. Stop arriving to the party the same guy or same girl that you were before. This is why Jesus came. This is why we celebrate Christmas, because there's an opportunity for us to actually change. It's fantastic. God came in the form of a little baby so that we would bring healing to our relationships, our relationships with each other and our relationship with God. Not necessarily in that order. (laughs) See, conversion to Christ is transformation. It's transformation. It's being somebody entirely different. We keep our same personality and and, and obviously our same body. Some of us fit into things better than others, but, but it's us. But what changes is our heart. We become somebody new. We saw this when we were talking about moles a few weeks ago. Those things that get down underneath our skin that nobody sees, but we know is there. And we talked about James. I love this verse, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. That old self does not become the new self. It has to be cast away. And that's where we are right here in Colossians. So let's look at today's scripture. And I've divided it into three sections and we'll read each section uh, separately. Therefore, he's saying, you have the opportunity to be something different. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with these new tools for your tool belt. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Those are the tools that God wants you to show up to every party with. He wants you to go home with those tools. He wants you to treat your kids with those tools. And he says, clothe yourself. Now, I want to give you an idea. Can you hand me my jacket? In the New American Standard Version of the Bible, it says, put on a heart of compassion. Right? And 
It literally means to put on these clothes. That's why this says clothe yourself. But what it means in the Greek is to sink in. Imagine you're cold. You ever done that? Have you ever gotten that you went into the, um, you had the dryer going and you had a sweatshirt in there and it got dry, right? And you're cold. And so you put on that sweatshirt and you sink into that sweatshirt. Oh, and it's so warm. That's what it means. So for you ladies, we have the clothing example. And for you men, we have the tool belt example. Or it could be vice versa. I'm not judging you. If the wife does all the hammering in the house and you like nice clothes, eh, that's fine, right? You sink into it. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's, I mean, that's what Paul is saying here. Sink into these things. Wrap them around you. Get an idea. When you show up somewhere, you're going to have compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Oh, man, this is kind of warm. I'm going to keep it on. It goes on. Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive, and here's the bummer part of the verse. Ah, as the Lord forgave you, okay? It would be really cool if it said, and forgive when somebody really asks you for forgiveness. Or forgive unless they're just going to trample on you. Then you just get out of there. They add, Paul adds, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Kind of a bummer. Lastly, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So we're going to go through these three sections of scripture, and we're going to talk about how we can show up to a party or show up at home or show up with a different mindset. Either we've sunken into a new identity or we've put on uh, a, new, a new tool belt. The first thing is to prepare to prepare. And if you want to fill out your thing, you can. For, for those of you who like get stressed out about the outline, you don't have to fill it in. It's just for those type of those kind of high D personalities that have to fill everything out perfectly. That's for you guys. I'd be filling them out like with real nice handwriting. And I'd also be trying to guess what they were before they did it. So you can do that as well. Or you can draw cartoons to prepare. Here's what it says. Therefore, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. If I were to ask you to come help me build something at my house, you'd ask me, well, what are you building? So that you could bring the right tools, at least for those of you who, or you'd ask, do you have all your supplies there? Right? You come prepared. When you go to a party and you're getting ready to get dressed, you've probably days before thought about, well, what am I going to wear? Is it dry cleaned? Do I need to get new shoes? This is an important office party or whatever. You, you think beforehand about becoming prepared. And this is the idea of the new tool belt and getting our clothes on, getting ready for, to go dressed as Jesus. We think of the party... We think of the situation and we think, okay, what are the things that typically happen there that get me either upset, like Carlene? You know know how Carlene was saying, you're always that way, right? We remember um, Caitlin. I really should learn their names. Uh, But the hostess. Is that Caitlin? Okay, sorry, Caitlin. Okay, that's Kate because only Carlene uses her real name. Everyone else is. Ah, so we got Caitlin, 
right? She knows they're not going to pay. Remember, we saw that in the, in the first week. She knows that. Every year it's the same, she says. And, and maybe not for all of you, but some of you, you know when Uncle Joe comes over and he brings a six-pack or a 12-pack or a 24-pack or whatever, you know what's going to happen. And so we need to begin to prepare. Imagine if we spent as much time in prayer before we go to a party as we do getting ready. See what I'm saying? And some, sometimes you spend an hour, you know, well, I need an hour be- to get, start getting ready beforehand. We already know how long. It, it might be that we, that's something we need to change. Say, no, you know what? I need 20 minutes to prepare this way, to clothe myself in these things, to be, be prepared. I said this already, but to put on a heart, to clothe or be clothed, the sense of sinking into a garment. So what what do we wear? Well, we ask ourselves, what would Jesus wear to a party? Right. What would he wear? If we're talking about clothes and compassion and all that kind of stuff, it lists some of the things here. And I just want to go through this list very quickly so we can get an idea. Maybe something's going to strike you about, you know, you're going to have the family over. You're going to need one of these things. Okay. The first thing Paul lists is compassion, compassion. It's kind of a weird word. It it means to be disturbed in your bowels, (laughs) not a term many people use very often, at least hopefully not uh, in your relationships. Oh, I use the term bowels all the time. Okay, all right. Right. It's deep inside you. It's a a great uh, Hebrew expression. Uh, uh, If you were to if you were a Hebrew, you would speak in terms of of physicality. Everything was the Greeks didn't do that as much. And so this idea of compassion is to be moved in your bowels. Right. Paul uses it in Philippians chapter one. He says, for God is my witness, how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. There's something inside. And maybe there's a there's a family member or someone at work where they're going through a hard time and they're and we've lost the compassion oh, every time they're there. They're telling them how hard their life is. OK, we got it. Maybe the Lord needs to go. No, no, no. You need to reconnect with that. When Jesus saw the crowds, his heart was moved with compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Maybe we need to reconnect with that compassion. Paul did. He loved that church in Philippi. He longed for them. It's the, it's the uh, idea of being compassionate. Way down inside. Have you lost that? Has that tool been lost? Does it need to be replaced? Begin to think about who are the people where I've lost my compassion. Secondly, kindness. Kindness. For that, we think of the Good Samaritan. See, the reason we use the Good Samaritan is because what it says is he saw the man. I don't know if you all know the story of the Good Samaritan, but basically a guy gets injured on the road and the two religious people just drive right by. They had lost their compassion. But with the Good Samaritan, it says he saw the man and had compassion for him. He actually felt something for him. And so what did he do? He began to show kindness. Our compassion shows up in kindness. I'm really compassionate. I haven't done a thing. Wow. That sounds really compassionate, right? There's usually a feeling and then we begin to act in kindness. Okay. The third thing he puts down is humility. 
Maybe the only thing you need to show up with at your next gathering is humility. That's a tough one sometimes. It's really cool because Peter uses the same term about humility. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if you think about some relationships you have that are tough, that you're going to meet up with in Christmas, and you go, Lord, just give me the grace to handle this. We all want grace, right? Then humble yourself. Because if we're not humbled, we not only don't get grace, God is opposed to us. He's opposed to us, which is pretty brutal. You think, no, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. It's kind of like... When uh, I tell my son, clean your room, and, 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 and he says, okay, everything sounds good, or my daughter, I don't want to just blame my son, or me, Lisa tells me to clean my room, right? <laughs> our, our room. Uh, just in case, wow, they live in separate rooms, man. He does have just hammers, okay. Uh, right? And so, so I tell him, go clean your room. And he says, oh, okay, okay. And he goes, and the room's still not clean. Hey, did you clean your room? No, I swept the whole back. Ah, thank you. Can you clean your room now? Oh, yeah, yeah. Watching TV. Clean your room. Clean. Now, all our relationship is about is him cleaning that room. You know what I mean? For those of you with kids, or you've been a kid, or you wanted to kill a kid, okay? <laughs> the whole relationship comes, comes down to this one. No, just... Clean your room. I made you dinner. Clean your room. Clean your room. Okay? That's kind of the idea here with God saying, humble yourself. But I gave at church. Humble yourself. I, I, yeah, I did this and I did that. And he's going, humble yourself. That's what it means to be opposed to the proud, but giving grace to the humble. He cleans his room. Now, what would you like to do? You see what I'm saying? That's the same type of thing. Ephesians uh, 5.21 says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the idea of humility. Then he goes on, gentleness, gentleness. All right, there's going to be lots of things. <laughs> this is, I fail in this often at parties. I don't, I forget, I forget that the person had just gone through something and then I make some joke and Lisa's like, they just kind of, oh, I wasn't gentle, Right? And it, it happens way too much. So uh, <laughs> listen to what Galatians 6.1 says. This is so great, guys, because it, it really gives an idea of why we're to be gentle. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. See that? Begin to think about, well, how am I going about this? I might be right, Okay. You, you, you might, you might like Carlene was probably right when she talked to the other gal. <laughs> what was her name? Connie, as she talked to Connie, right? She was right. She always does that. She does. But, but what was the way in which she said, how could she have done it differently? How could it have been maybe some pliers or something else that was right for the job rather than a hammer? You always do that. How many of us hear that in our relationships all the time? You always. Instead of going, hey, can I, pulling them aside, can I talk to you for a second? I just feel like there's something between us and I, I've kind of noticed these things. 
We do it gently. Watch what it says. Restore him gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. You know what I mean? If we just go in on our high horse and we go blasting away, we're going to get nailed. It's kind of like you have a hammer and, uh, and, and the hammer is the right thing for the job. This is a manly hammer, by the way. Uh, and so I'm going to set a nail, right? I put the nail there. And what do I do? Do I go like this? No, right? Especially I don't. <laughs> because I'd probably hit myself right about here, okay? Right? You, you, gently, you gently set the nail or else you're going to get hurt. And then you begin to pound away. I do it like that. Real men, swing it. I keep tapping, okay? That's the idea. Restore them gently or else you're going to get hurt or you're going to fall into temptation because you're going to go in and go, yeah, I pretty much spoke my mind there. And now God's opposed to you because you're proud. See that? Patience. (laughs) And this is a hard list of stuff, right? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Look what it says here in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Here's the great thing about God calling us to patience. It guarantees that your patience is going to be tested. I guarantee you, I promise you, I promise this week your patience is going to be tested. God doesn't call us to be patient. What happens is we try to set up our lives, or at least I do, in a way so that our patience is never tested. Everything's exactly where we need it. The how, you know, our stuff's all in order because I, I, you know, I, I don't want to be in traffic. I don't want to be, but that's impossible. So it gets even more frustrating when you set out your whole life to try and make it just right for you, and then you're impatient. I notice this a lot of times uh, with people who have made a lot of money. They got all this money, the nicest things, everything at their fingertips, and they're the most impatient people. Oh, I can't take this back. I can't. Oh, I don't like this. I don't like that. Why? Because their expectation is with all this money, I should never have my patience tested. I promise you it will be tested. And God tells us that. He warns us that. He says, be patient with everyone. Look at the people he's surrounded you by in, in 1 Thessalonians. Those who are idle, the good for nothing. Oh, those people, right? The timid, like, come on, buck up, get going. Or help the weak. You're surrounded by needy people here in this list. Be patient. See, a lot of times we skew, we see Uncle Joe or Aunt Sally as just annoying. We see them as arrogant or pushy or they, they're always putting me down, asking me when I'm going to get a better job. We never see them as needy. The, the people who lash out, the people who are angry all the time, who are prideful, always talking about themselves, they're needy. There's something missing that that's the way they have to respond. Maybe all they have is hammers and they're so frustrated because all they need to do is just pull out this one thing or saw this one thing and they don't have the tools and they're frustrated and so they act out. And God says, you, you guys, me, when we show up, let's sink into that garment and let's show up with all the right tools. 
we know better, don't we? We have access to God, right? So what am I going to wear to the party? Jesus. (laughs) You're going to wear your Jesus costume, right? You're going to show up with the things that Jesus would wear. We're to be exactly like Jesus. So we prepare for that. Look in that list. I wrote it down on your, on, your, on your outline. Look at that list and go, when at your next party, pull it out and go, what do I need to put on? What makeup do I need to put on? What, 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 uh, what clothes do I need to put on? Okay. Secondly, we preserve. We preserve. It says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Ah, oh, don't like that. What does it mean to preserve? I got this out of the dictionary to keep alive or in existence, to make lasting, to keep safe from harm or injury, protect or spare. Now, imagine if your job, you said when someone said, what are you going to bring to the to the party? You say, well, I'm going to bring the things to really preserve our relationships. (laughs) That'd be awesome. You go to the you go to the Christmas party and say, I'm going to I'm going to keep this environment safe from harm. I'm not going to lash out. I'm not going to act out like I always do. I'm going to stop reaching for that hammer and I'm going to look and see what needs to happen. The Bible calls that bearing with and forgiving to preserve these relationships. We must bear with and forgive. It kind of rhymes. I want everyone to say it again. Bear with and forgive. Bear with and forgive. Bear with and forgive. You guys are sad. That was sad. You didn't, you didn't mean that. I could tell, right? Bear with and forgive. So what, what do we see? Well, again, what's going to happen? People are going to be annoying and they're going to hurt us, right? We show up. Okay, this time, Pastor John said, I'm going to sink into my garment of compassion and gentleness and kindness and humility. Okay. And we walk in and someone says, do you get a new job yet? You know what, dude? Let me tell you something. I don't need a new job, right? I was, I was getting kind of hot. Right? We just rip it off and come on, where's my hammer? We're, he's telling us, you're going to show up with the greatest intentions. You're going to be different this time. You're not going to do it again. And someone's going to harm you. Bear with them. Forgive them. And then he goes on and he says, with this caveat, exactly as Jesus forgave you. Do you remember one of the last words Jesus said? He was on the cross and he had been whipped all over his body. He had had a, he had a nail either through his hand or through his wrist. And his legs were most likely crossed and there was a nail going through there. It was hard for him to breathe. He was thirsty. He was exhausted. He was dripping in sweat and blood. He had just gotten done with three brutal years of ministry. All the time, though, the Holy Spirit's flowing through him. And so he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And you say, well, of course they know what they're doing. They stuck nails in it. No, see, Jesus is looking at a different kingdom. He's looking at through the lens of the kingdom of heaven. And he says, yeah, they know what they're doing down there. Your uncle Bob knows he's getting under your skin. He loves to do that. He knows what he's doing. But in this kingdom, he doesn't have a clue. He doesn't have a clue that when he shrinks the kingdom of God in his own life, he brings the enemy closer in and it gets harder to breathe and harder to respond. 
He doesn't understand that when you advance the kingdom of God in your own life, you have more power, you have more peace, you have more of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you to handle these situations. He doesn't understand that. And so we bear with these people. It means to push against, to go, okay, look, look, hold them, okay. And we forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't understand the kingdom impact of what's going on. See, Peter ruined forgiveness for us. Because uh, have you ever, like, been in a job or at home for the you kids or whatever, where there's always that good, goody two-shoes kid or person at work? Like, let's, let's use work as an example. So the, the, you're about ready to go home. It's Friday. You're tired. The boss is going to let you go home early. So, you know, everyone gets to go home at two. And then someone goes, hey, what about those reports we were supposed to do? And everyone goes, ah, oh, dude, we were just about, ah, oh. right? What are you, you idiot? We were going to leave. I already, ah, oh. right? That's what Peter does. He comes up to Jesus and he goes, hey, Jesus, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, how much should we forgive? Seven times? And everyone goes, oh, man, what are you doing, Peter? And Jesus goes, no, 490 times. And everyone's like, dude, (laughs) for eternity, we could have gotten away with just a few times of forgiveness. But now we got it recorded in the Bible. And now we have to do it. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for bringing that up. Jesus says, I want you to forgive 70 times seven. (laughs) Oh, Keep track next time with Uncle Bob. I'd like, send me an email when you get to 491. Okay, I'll let you off the hook. Peter ruins that for us. The unforgiving servants, another example that Jesus uses. The biggest example of a hypocrite. You know, we say the church is filled with hypocrites. Christians are hypocrites. It's not, oh, you shouldn't drink, but then I go drink. It's not, oh, you, you always say don't cuss. But you know what it is? You were forgiven so much and you didn't forgive. The example Jesus would use today is if, you know, the housing crisis and somebody's upside down in their house and they're about ready to lose it. And the bank comes in and goes, you know what? Because banks, banks are really good at this. They're a lot of heart of compassion. They come and, and, and they say, you know what? We see you're in trouble. You got a family and everything. You know, you don't have to pay. Like, oh, I'll pay. No, it's good. You just you're fine. Oh my goodness, you read in the newspaper, this guy, that bank came and forgave him of his house. And then you read, keep reading, you keep reading, and he went next door because someone had borrowed a can opener. And he went in, he started screaming at him, where's my can opener? They couldn't find it. So he calls the cops on him. You go, what in the world are you doing? You just got forgiven your house? That's the story Jesus tells. That's the mindset when it says, Start changing your mind. That's the mindset we go to our parties with. That's the mindset we come in with. Like, man, the Lord has forgiven me of so much. And Uncle Joe just asked me when I was going to get a real job. Who cares? It's hard. Believe me, I know it's hard. I'm not just trying to speak this out like, so just go do that. It's hard. But see, the, the Holy Spirit, when we begin to try, that allows God an opportunity to work through us. And maybe at the next party, it's not that great. You did a little bit better. Maybe you went halfway through until you, you threw down and you were ready to go, okay? But, but this is a process. And, and God begins to do it. And soon you find out you've been wearing that stuff the whole... You say, I'm going to keep it on. And you take it home with you. 
Thirdly, we prevail. We prevail. And over all these, all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love would be the, would be the actual belt. And so when you, when you bind them together, it, it, it clicks in like that. Love clicks them all and you got all your tools, everything's ready to go. And you love just clicks them in and gets them all ready for you. That's the idea of love. To prevail, to be greater in strength or influence, triumph, to be or become effective, to win out. And you think, man, when I go see Uncle Joe, I can't wait to prevail. I can't wait to win out. When he says, when am I going to get a job? I'm going to say, when are you going to get a life? Oh, I just won out. I just prevailed. Bam, put my jacket on, right? That's not what it means. Believe it or not, okay? See, love, if, if I try to use my compassion screwdriver and it's not in love, it's useless. If I think I'm going to show up all humble and I don't do it out of love and I'm just trying my heart, it might last a little while. But it, it can't keep sustaining. See, lo- love is the power by which we do this stuff. Love is why we're celebrating Christmas. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. That anyone who wants to call upon his name will be saved. Have everlasting life. It's that love for people. That's why our motto here at Living Spring is loving God and loving people in that order. Because you cannot love people for any great length of time unless you love God first. It has to be by his power. Why? Because they're going to hurt you. They're going to fail you. That's why through the scripture, be patient, be forgiving, bear with them. They're knuckleheads. God knows. Galatians 5.14 says this, for the whole law, everything. I don't bring a Bible with me anymore because I I was going to hold it up. Pretend I had a Bible right here. The whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The only way you can do that is with the love of God. You cannot sustain it. Our flesh doesn't allow us to sustain it. Romans 13, 9 says this. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Love has to prevail. It has to win out. It has to be greater in strength or in influence. Or else it's just going to be like every other party. Like every other situation, like when you're wrapping presents and, you know, wherever, wherever it is, like I said, you know, you know, the stress points of your home. I know the stress points of my home. We have to prepare for that. We have to preserve those relationships and it has to be done in love or we will not prevail in that. I'll, I'll show you how I know. There. Oh, it didn't work. That would have been cool. Love never fails. Listen to this. First Corinthians 3, 14. Pretend that bottom one isn't down there because that was supposed to be my final statement and I forgot to do that. Ah, go ahead and read it. Listen to this. This is out of the message. First Corinthians 13. We all know this chapter. If you don't, it's awesome. Go read it. It's in first Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse four. I use the message version on this one just because it's a little more poetic. It means the exact same thing. So don't freak out. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut 
doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel. It takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. It puts up with anything. It trusts God always. It always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never fails. Love never fails. It always prevails. 